Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everyone who's watching online this morning. Um, and it's a good Sunday because Jesus is alive. Amen. And because Michigan won. Amen. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Didn't do that to first service, just you guys. So, hey, listen, um, I'm going to switch it up a little bit this morning from first service to second service. And so... Um, there's a passage in Scripture, it's not going to be on the screen, um, but 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and the Apostle Paul is writing, and, and he is responding in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and he's talking about how he had sent them a letter. He was responding to problems that their church was having, and he kind of had to send them a hard letter, right? Have you ever had to say anything hard to somebody before, and you're like, oh man, this is going to be really hard, but you need to hear that. You need to hear this. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever said that? Okay, right, some of us have. So the Apostle Paul, he says, hey, you know, I had to send you a, a letter. And this is what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He's talking about this letter that he sent them that was difficult to hear. He was addressing some problems in their church. He says, I am not sorry that I sent you that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was, a pain, it was painful to you for a little while. He's like, I'm not sorry I sent it. I know it was a severe letter. I was a little bit sorry at first because I knew it was painful, but I really wasn't sorry because I knew what the results were going to be. He says, now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. The pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so you are not harmed in any way. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Paul's like, there's two kinds of sorrows. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. And you know the difference when godly sorrow, it leads you to repent. You acknowledge your sin. You're aware of your sin. You confess your sin and you turn away from your sin and you turn towards God. Paul's like, that, my friends, leads to life. That leads to life. But there's another kind of sorrow that's worldly. And it leads to death, to spiritual death. Sometimes worldly sorrow can even lead to physical death. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it's not on the screen. Romans 3, 23, right? You guys know this. We all have sinned and we all fall short of God's glory, his standard for our lives his righteous way of living, all of us, everybody in this room. And we continue to fall short. I remember when I was a kid, and I don't know who said this, but it always stuck with me. Someone said at one point that they were like, the most important decision you're ever going to make in your life, the very most important decision you're ever going to make in your life is what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to serve him? Or are you going to follow Jesus? Or are you going to turn away from Jesus? They said the second most important decision that you'll ever make in your life is what are you going to do after you've sinned? Because we're all 
sinners. We all sin. The question is, what are you going to do after you sin? Are you going to have the kind of sorrow that's godly, that turns away from your sin and turns towards God? Or are you going to have the kind of sorrow that just leads to being depressed and discouraged? You're sorry that you have to face the consequences. You're sorry that there's consequences and punishment that's going to happen from that. But you really don't turn towards Jesus. What are you going to do when you sin? All of us have to make that choice, that decision. How long we're going to live in that misery? You got to decide. You know, uh, Mark chapter 14 is the passage where we're at this morning. And, and um, in Mark chapter 14, it's the, it's the final hours before Jesus will go to the cross. It's the last few hours of his life on earth before he'll go to the cross. And we're told this story, right? You guys know the story. Jesus is with his disciples and he's in Jerusalem and they're in this upper room. And they are there to celebrate and remember Passover, God's deliverance from the people of, of the Israelites from, from bondage, from slavery in Egypt, and how God set them free. And they're, they're called to remember what, what God has done for his people. And so they're all gathered together there in this upper room to celebrate Passover. And Jesus turns this into time that was meant to think about what happened thousands of years ago and to what Jesus was going to do, how he was going to sacrifice his life, how he was going to be the sacrificial lamb, sacrifice his life for you and I, that we would be set free from the consequences and the penalty of sin. So at the end of service, Caleb's going to come up and we're going to receive communion together. But before that happens, Jesus is with his disciples. And they're all gathered around this table. And they begin talking and they're having discussion. And Jesus is like, tonight, one of you is going to betray me. He doesn't say deny me, but he says betray me. It's the idea of turning a prisoner over to someone else, like another guard or another warden, something like that. It was betrayal in that sense, kind of a sense that you're going to turn someone over to someone else. He's like, one of you is going to betray me. All the disciples there, and they're talking and discussing, and they're asking that question. Well, is it me? Who, who is it, Jesus? Is it, is, am I the one? Am I the one, Jesus, that will betray you? Am I the one? Different gospels. That's, we're in, in Mark chapter 14. Actually, we, we, let's go back and read. Let's start verse 17. Sorry there, Chrissy. Verse 17 says, In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here tonight will betray me. One of you is going to turn me over. One of you will betray me. What's interesting is later on that evening, they'd have discussions, and Jesus is like, you're all going to desert me. But Jesus says, one of you will betray me later on. He says, you're all going to desert me. Peter, in fact, you're going to desert me. You're going to deny me three times. I was like, if I was Jesus, that's the person I'd be highlighting at this table here. 
not Judas who would betray him, but Peter who would deny him three times. Like, my own mind, that seems like a bigger sin than, you know, betraying you, Jesus. But you wonder, you wonder why? Why is, you know, I, I've never met anybody who named their kid Judas. I just, that's just not a popular name. I, it might be, maybe some of you, my middle name's Eugene, doesn't get much worse, but, you know, some of you, like, but you hear a lot of, a lot of people name their kids Pete, Pete or Peter, right? But no Judases. It's like, well, what happened? Peter, den- he denies Jesus multiple times. Judas, he betrays Jesus. They're all like, well, am I the one who's going to betray you, Jesus? Jesus replied, it is one of you 12 who is eating, who is eating this bowl with me. Verse 21, for the Son of Man must die as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would have been far better for that man if he had never been born. What's the difference? We know the story. We know that. Jesus like, it would be better if that person never even been born. What's the difference, Jesus, between Peter who denies you multiple times, and, and um, Judas, who betrays you. This next slide is a picture, a pretty famous picture. Um, anybody know who, who painted this picture? Anybody? Yes, Leonardo da Vinci. Thank you, our art historian over here. Right, Leonardo da Vinci, right? It's the Last Supper, Right? In Leonardo, like eight, uh, 1493 to 96, it took him several years to paint this picture, right? And this picture, I know it's, you know, this, this projector is not the best, you know. But in this picture, right, he's depicting the exact moment when Jesus says, one of you will betray me. It's at that moment da Vinci captures in his own mind what was taking place. And you can see several of these different, you know, different people in Scripture, right? And Jesus is obviously right there in the middle and to my left, right? Um, there's, all the Gospels record this moment. They all talk about this. The Gospel of John tells us there was a disciple whom Jesus loved. Most of them think it was the writer of the Gospel of John. And most think it was probably, well, yeah, over here, is, this is John. It says the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table, Simon Peter motioned to, to him, to most likely John, motioned him to ask, who is he talking about who's going to betray him? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl when he, di- when he had dipped it. He gave it to Judas, Simon, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. You notice that, that um, John uses that phrase. He says, Lord, who's the, who is it? Am I the one, Lord? Matthew tells us, again, that, that obviously Judas was there. And Judas responded a little bit differently. It says, Matthew 26 says, one of you will betray. Let's go ahead and go back for a second. Thank you, Chrissy. It says, one of you, Jesus said, 
one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. All sounds the same. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. That's all. We've heard that already. All of a sudden, we get new information. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asks, he says, Rabbi, am I the one? Jesus told him, you have said it. It's super interesting. Judas uses a different phrase. He doesn't say, Lord, am I the one? He says, teacher, rabbi. It was this title of respect and reverence, but rabbi was a title you could give anybody. But that title, Lord, it was a messianic title. It was a title of surrenderance. It was a title of acknowledgement of who Jesus was. But this title, Rabbi, it was just like, like Judas was saying, Jesus, you know, I really like you. I've been following you for the last three years. Jesus, I've seen all these things, but I'm not really too sure who you are. Are you just another guy? It's interesting. What happened to Peter? What happened to Judas? You guys know the story, right? John chapter 21 tells us that Jesus dies. He rose again. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter does. It says that he, Jesus, in that, in that moment, the third time when um, Peter denies Jesus, Jesus looks at Peter and Peter weeps bitterly. Then Jesus dies and goes to the cross and rises again. John 21 tells us that he turns to Jesus. And Jesus extends his presence and his forgiveness to, to Peter. He says, Peter, go feed my people. Go take care of my flock. Peter turned to Jesus after he sinned. What did Judas do? Judas commits suicide. Judas never turns back to Jesus. He takes his own life. Godly sorrow leads to re godly sorrow leads to life. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. I turn away from my sin and I turn towards Jesus. Worldly sorrow it leads to spiritual death and sometimes like in the case of Judas, physical death. You become despondent and discouraged and you never turn away from your sin and you never turn towards Jesus. I think that's what happened here in, this, in these passages. Am I the one, Jesus? What are you going to do with the sin? The sin of something you've done or said. Or the sin of something you haven't done or you haven't said. James says to know what to do and to not do it is what? Sin. Thanks, Linda. It's sin. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with that in your life? You know, I think the, the um, John chapter 12 I think we might have that, Christy. John chapter 12 is a really interesting story. A little bit further, John chapter 12 tells us this, this story about Jesus and 
It's, it's right be, in Mark 14, it's right before our passage, but John chapter 12 tells us the story, gives us a little bit more insight into um, Judas' life. All the disciples are with Jesus, and this woman named Mary comes, and she takes a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anoints Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house, it says, was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, he says to Jesus, or to everybody that was listening, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he had cared for the poor because he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it for himself. I think we have one more slide with that. Jesus says to Judas, Judas, dude, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. If you can go back, Christy, that next previous slide. I was thinking about this this past week. And I was thinking about Judas, and I was thinking about sin. And I find it really interesting, again, when I don't have godly sorrow in my life that leads me to turn away from my sin and turn towards Jesus, I find myself and I find other people justifying their sin, rationalizing their sin, and trying to make everything look like, you know, when you read this, it sounds like Judas is the hero. He's like, Jesus, this is a waste of money. We should take this money. We should be giving it to the poor. He sounds super spiritual. Like, wow, this guy's right. We should give this money to the poor. And we kind of deflect everything. We can hide behind this spiritual facade and this veneer when we find ourselves struggling and living in sin and not having godly sorrow in our life, but worldly sorrow, and we've got this hidden, unconfessed sin in life. It says that he was stealing money all this time. But boy, you can look really spiritual, don't you? You see that? You guys remember, I don't know, I don't know, maybe it was four or five months ago, um, I shared the story about how I had met, I had, was running in a park. You don't need to know which one, but I was running in a park, and it's by myself, and, and I told you guys that, I'm just, I, I don't want to tell you too many details, but, you know, I ran, I was running, I saw this guy walking towards me, and he was with a girl, and I knew it wasn't his wife, and, you know, I just passed him, and I ended up texting him, and you guys remember the story, right? And I, and I knew it wasn't his wife, and I'm like, hey, dude, let's get together. And this guy doesn't go to our church, he hasn't gone to our church in a decade. So, but I know this guy, he knows me. He knows I'm a pastor. We've, we've, throughout the last 10 years, I've texted him back and forth. He's texting me for different things. I don't know why we have. So there's a relationship there. There's a pastoral relationship there. So I got together with him. And, and it, was, it was, I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, she's like my sister. I'm thinking, really? Yeah, she's like my sister. And so I just cautioned him, admonished him about that. Like, you know, I, what am I going to do? I just cautioned him about how unwise that was and so on and so forth. And 
he wants to ignore it or deny it, that's up, totally up to him. I said to him, though, I said, I said, hey, man, are you going to church anywhere? Nah, I'm not going to church. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, why not? He says, well, I know what the church does with money. He said, you know, I, I, uh, I know the church doesn't, doesn't manage money well. And he said, you know, and I don't, I don't think the church takes care of the poor. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, wow, man, that sounds super spiritual. I didn't say that to them, but I was thinking that. So I said to him, I said, let's, let's call his name Bob. That's not his name. I'm like, Bob, I said, I bet that if I looked at your finances over the last year, I bet you haven't given one penny to the poor. I said, Bob, I bet if I looked at the way you spent your time over the last year, you haven't volunteered at all over the last year and served the poor in any way. You know what he said to me? Nothing. He said nothing. Now, again, I'm thinking, man, when you're struggling with sin, living in sin, it's so easy to just point your finger at everybody else and just deflect everything from yourself and act super spiritual. Oh, look at me. You know, I'm whatever. And really, you have this unconfessed and unrepentant sin in your own life. We get this image, this idea, and I think there's a slide actually we'll talk about unconfessed sin, Christy. That we have these moments in our lives and that when we have unconfessed and unrepentant sin in our life, it always opens the door to Satan's working and his power in your life. That's what was going on with Judas. Now, listen. Just so you know, we pick these passages and we pick these, you know, whatever, months and months. So I'm not, I'm not, listen, if this is, you know, it's kind of like Paul. He's like, you know, listen, I was really sorry that I had to say, send this hard letter to you, but I'm not sorry. You know, if I'm saying things this morning, I'm not looking at any of you. I'm trying to make, you know, whatever. If you hear this and this is for you, that's between you and God. That's not between me and you. You just take it and receive it from you and God. And if this is not for you, if you're watching online, whoever you are, that's cool, whatever. If this is not for you, then okay, that's whatever. Don't, I'm not. You know, nothing going on like that. But I think we have to ask those questions of ourselves. The most important decision, what am I going to do with Jesus? The second most important decision, what am I going to do after I've sinned? Am I going to live in this unconfessed, unrepentant sin and give Satan access to my life and allow him to develop a stronghold, a foothold in my life? Or am I going to turn away from my sin and am I going to turn towards Jesus? Am I going to confess my sin and repent and turn towards Jesus? 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it's not on the screen. But 1 John chapter 1, 7 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. He'll cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to spiritual death. Difference between Judas and Peter. What they did with the sin in their life. She's like, someone's going to betray me tonight. Am I the one they all said? It's interesting if you go back to that picture for a second, Chrissy, the picture from Da Vinci. 
Remember I told you, you know, there's different people on, on the left, my left, right, look at the screen. You see there's three people right there. And most likely Da Vinci painted that was supposed to be Peter leaning over to John saying, hey, John, can you ask Jesus who's the one who's going to betray him? John leans over and says, Lord, who is the one? But I think it's something else that's really interesting. If you notice, you can't, I know it's hard to see in this screen, but the guy has a kind of a green sash over on the left, has a green sash over his arm, his left arm. In his right arm, you know what he's holding? He's holding a money bag. Matthew tells us, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that Judas, you know, Matthew was a tax collector, right? So he was all about keeping track of money. He knew the money details. Matthew tells us that Judas, who's holding this bag of money, Judas betrayed Jesus for the price of a common slave for 30 pieces of silver. It was the greed in his life. I think Judas was disappointed with Jesus. I think Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand. That things weren't going the way that Judas wanted him to go. And so he was trying to push Jesus and force him out to do his bidding, to do his thing. I think that we get like that too. Jesus, man, I'm so disappointed. My life isn't going how I want it to go. You're not doing what I expect and what I want you to do, Jesus. So I'm going to kind of try and, in my own arrogance, trying to force you, Jesus, to do what I want you to do rather than submit and follow you. I think that's part of what Judas was doing here. He was disappointed and discouraged. And he had worldly sorrow. And he dealt with his sin by committing suicide. Peter has godly sorrow for his sin. And he turns back towards Jesus. Repents. Confesses. And chooses to follow Jesus. Jesus, am I the one? This could have been titled a tale of two betrayals. Betrayals. How are you going to respond? What do I do with Jesus? And what do I do with the sin in my life?